Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Gate of Trust, Chapter 3. This is our fifth class, and tonight we're going to be talking about five reasons that um, wicked people, sorry, five reasons that righteous people may have negative things happen to them, as well as seven reasons that wicked people may have good things happen to them. Or let me just re rephrase it, it's going to be five reasons why the, wicked, the righteous may suffer and six reasons why the wicked may prosper. Now, I just want to revisit how this conversation began. We've been learning that, this, that one of the principles of faith is knowing that Hashem created the world in a way that demands human effort. And we asked, why is human effort important? Why is it important for us to do our part? And we gave two reasons. We said, number one, Human effort is a way of testing us if we should get a reward or God forbid the opposite. And second of all, human effort keeps us busy and we don't get caught up in what we call an Irish kaitin. We don't get caught up thinking about in inappropriate things or doing bad things. We're, we're busy. And, the, and Rabbein Vachai concluded and he said, if someone doesn't have the need for those two reasons, then he won't need to work. Everything will be easy for him. So for example, if a righteous person has proven himself that he's going to do what's right, he doesn't test him anymore, as well as the righteous person has proven that he's not going to get caught up in narishkeit and during his free time, he's going to remain focused. So then only good things will happen to him. And that led us into the conversation of why we see that there are some righteous people suffering. And what we learned last week was that we can't answer the question. The question's too detailed. Why righteous suffer? Or why the wicked prosper? There's so many nuances that none of the prophets gave an answer. That's where we left off last week. But now, Rabbeinu Bachai is going to say, as you see right over here in the highlighted area, nonetheless, I have seen to explain this matter such that it should be somewhat sufficient. In other words, Rabbeinu Bachai is saying, knockout, nonetheless, even though there's no one answer, but we need to give people a taste of an answer that at least they should have some comfort, knowing that there's a reason that a righteous may suffer and wicked may prosper. That's what we're going to learn now. Here we go. Let's jump into um, let's jump into the text. Okay, reasons for the righteous suffering. In the handout, we are on page eighteen. Even though. There's no one answer fits all. Why the righteous may suffer and the wicked may prosper. I have seen a need to explain this matter. Why some righteous people suffer. While some wicked people prosper. In such a manner that it should be somewhat sufficient of an explanation. I need, I need all of you to be able to go to sleep tonight. Knowing that there is a solid answer. The oima. Ki apanem asher bavuram yimona. 
Me'atzarik is damnus tarpoi. I will say that the reasons why the righteous person's livelihood is withheld from him until he exerts himself to obtain it and is tested in it are as follows. Number one, It is possible that it is because of a sin that he performed previously, which he was liable to be punished for. As it says, the whole, the righteous man will be paid for his sins on earth. So if you see a tzaddik, and you really know, this guy is a tzaddik, he's not playing around. And you see that things may not be going so easy for him. It could be when he was bar mitzvah, he's responsible for his actions. He did something inappropriate. And we want to make sure that he gets cleaned up in this world. So when he comes to the world to come, he's right away allowed in. There's no cleaning process necessary. So that little, that sin that someone may have done, we're going to clean it up so that in the world to come, he doesn't have to deal with it. So that's a positive. That's the first reason. The first reason is there may have been a sin from a while back. Number two. Another possible rationale for the righteous sufferer. There are some righteous who suffer in, in exchange for increased reward in the world to come. As it is written, to benefit you in your end. So if someone righteous is suffering, it could be that that suffering is a method of increasing their reward. Because by handling that suffering, they've passed an additional test that's going to allow them to go even further. So what, what looks to you and me as a punishment may really be a, a method of giving a bigger reward. Thank you for asking to make it bigger. Let's do that, sure. Sounds like a rationalization to me. I'll tell you what, my, um, um, Mark. Let's finish the five reasons, and then let's talk about that. Good point. Okay. And by the way, it's called rationale. So I do think you're right. We, it, it is a rationalization. But let's talk about that. Another possible rationale. There are some righteous who suffer to show other people his level of tolerance of his suffering and his good demeanor in the service of his creator so that other people can learn from him as we know from the story of Eoiv. So Eoiv, there's different opinions when exactly he lived, but he's one of the 24 books of Tanakh, one of the 24 books of the Bible, and he suffered tremendously. And, and he, he suffered tremendously. And what we learn is one of the reasons he was suffering was in order to prove to everybody his faith and devotion to Hashem. 
And we're going to get back to all these answers. Number four, fourth reason. There are some righteous who suffer due to the wickedness of the people of their generation. And the, and the creator tests them with poverty, want, and illness to show other people his piety and service of God. This is in contrast to those people who don't serve God despite their peaceful lives. As it says in Yeshaya, indeed, he bore our illnesses and our pains, he carried them. This verse is discussing Mashiach, who will endure suffering as a result of the sins of the people in his generation. So sometimes a righteous person, he's suffering because of and as an atonement for the sins of his generation. Okay, and the final reason is the yesha yiya vipneshe nenu mekani lelakim. There are some righteous people who suffer because although they are righteous in their own personal lives, they are not zealous for the sake of God in protesting the sins of the people of their generation, as you know from the story with Eli and his sons, which scripture says about them, and it will be that everyone who is left in your house will come to prostrate himself before him for a silver piece and a morsel of bread. So the fifth reason we're learning is that although they themselves are tzaddikim, sometimes they're not willing to stand up for what's right. And they're not willing to take a stance when it's needed. As we learn from Eli, Eli was a koyin gadol, Eli was a high priest, and the scripture says that his children, his sons, weren't acting so appropriately, and because of that, his, he was told that he's going to endure suffering, that all of his descendants are going to be basically penniless. They're going to come begging for food. So here we have five reasons, and, and let's go now and review these five reasons, talk about them and talk about as, um, as Mark said, you know, perhaps they're a rationalization. Okay. So why the righteous may suffer, number one is because of a sin he performed previously. Number two is an exchange for increased reward in the world to come. Number three, so that other people can learn from him, like the story of Eli. Number four, because of the wickedness of their generation, that he bears their illnesses. Or because although they're righteous in their personal lives, they're not zealous, and they're not willing to truly stand up for what's right. So I just want to share a few stories, perhaps to clarify these, and then talk about, you know, what exactly this means. Here we learn, number, number three, so that other people can learn from him. The Chidush Harim, he lost 13 children during his lifetime. Just one moment. 
so the Chidoshi Arim, he lost 13 children during his lifetime. And somehow he had this incredible energy, this incredible inner will, and he was able to tell his wife that if they're going to be able to continue living and strengthen themselves, they will be able to be an inspiration for others that are suffering. That's just regarding the third, the third reason we have here. Um, I want to share one more story. Flipping my mind right now. So let's go. Let's go now to what Mark said about the rationalization. Mark, tell me more about it. So if if I'm <clears throat> have a miserable life, I might not know that I have a miserable life. But let's just say I'm a righteous person who has a miserable life. For me to be able to tolerate my miserable life, I've got to have faith that particularly number two here is true. That the reason I'm miserable is because I'm kind of being punished for, the, for what's going to happen in the next world. And I've got to have faith that this rationalization here is true. Okay, that, that's powerful. <laughs> You're saying to, uh, to truly understand it or, or internalize it, it takes a lot of faith. Yeah, that's true. A, a, that's true. B is, it's more true than you're saying, because of, as we we've learned, as Abayn Bachai said, these are not real answers. The answers are too many. There's too, the Nevi'im, our prophets, weren't even willing to give us answers because they're too complex. He's just giving us, so to say, a taste of what a potential answer could be. And some of these answers could be mixed in. It could be that someone has many answers, many of these all in one. So for someone to come and say that I'm suffering in order to increase my reward, that wouldn't be something that one could say on his own. And ultimately what we should believe is that it's something that I'm doing for my good, as we've learned earlier, but I can't understand it. Um, so, so the reasons we're giving here are not for someone to come and rationalize and say, this specific reason happens to me. Rather, it's for someone to have an understanding that, they, that there can be some logic behind it. Does that help, Mark? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that helps. It's still, it's still um, it needs to sink in a little bit more. I mean, you said, you said yeah. I, made, I made a comment last week and you called me out on the comment, which was actually good because I've been thinking about it all week. And I made the comment was that- Right, right time right, and right place. Right place, right time. Right place, right time. <laughs> I, I spoke about it to someone as well. It was an interesting discussion. Yeah, go ahead. And that if you, and your, your retort back to me was that, no, it's not right place, right time because everything's, everything's kind of ordained by Hashem right. that if it's going to happen, it's because Hashem commanded it or whatever. And that's a, that's a total and utter leap of faith, just like we're talking about tonight. Yes. Yes. 
um, and we'll talk about more about that in chapter four, but the life is faith. In other words, what, what we're learning here in, in, in Shari Tachin is that everything is preordained, but I still need to do my part. Naturally, it's a contradiction. Like, <laughs> is it preordained or I need to do my part? But yes, it's one of those um, perhaps contradictions of life. Yeah, because if, if you sit back and watch TV all day long, nothing's ever going to happen to you. Correct, correct. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot more about that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mark. I have a question about EOs. Yes. Oh, do you want to go first, Basha? No, I'm, I'm uh, oh, Dr. Malov, go ahead. Oh, well, um, I mean, I haven't really read the whole thing of EO, but, but, but my impression is that, it, that at the end, uh, the book of EO, Hashem says something like, where were you when I, when I created the world and I did this and, and this and, 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 you know, where were you when I did all this and, and who are you to, to question me or something like that. But, but I, I don't think he gives the answer that, that is, uh, well, this is to, so you'll be an example to other people. I don't think, I don't think he says that in the book of EO. So have you read the beginning of Eos? Yeah, I read the beginning of it. The beginning of it tells us kind of that story, how he's being tested. Um, or maybe it's more of a, um, you know what, I, I have to review to know what exactly the source is. Maybe it's more of a medrash. At the moment, it's skipping me where it's from in particular. But we do learn that, yes, I mean, what, one of the reasons I've learned is that he was tested as an example. Yeah. If I find a source, Dr. Mello, over the next few days, I'll, I'll share it. Okay. okay. Uh, Morabash, you had a question? Oh, okay. So now let's look at reasons why the wicked may prosper. Avol, reason for the wicked prospering. Avol, Russia, but the kindness that the Almighty, blessed be he, performs on behalf of the wicked are for the following reasons. Number one is, there are some wicked people who prosper due to their previous good deeds, which the Almighty rewards them for in this world. As it says in Devarim, and he repays those who hate him to their faith to cause them to perish. What does it mean to their faith? which one of the early commentators, uncle is translated as follows, and he rewards those who hate him for the good deeds that they have performed before him in this world in order to ultimately destroy them in the world to come. So the righteous, the wicked prospering is because every, as we learn, every human, every Jew, the Gemara says, is full of mitzvahs like a pomegranate. Every human being, there's, good things that they have done. If they were nice to their parents, they did a mitzvah. If there was an elderly person that needed to cross the street and they helped them, they did a mitzvah. Now there's times that Hashem doesn't want them 
they don't deserve to get a reward in the world to come. So by giving them a prosperous life in this world, they're being paid up so that they can't come later on and say, where's my reward? And this is the flip of reason number one why Tzadikah may suffer. Remember we said, what's the first reason a Tzadik may suffer? It's so that he should suffer in this world and only have good in the world to come. Well, the flip side is a real Rasha. The reason he may prosper is that he's rewarded here and he not get the reward in the world to come. Why? Why would it be so important that he not get a reward in Olam Haba? And the Ramban, Nachmanri, tells us that there are, there are certain people, they did certain sins, they're not allowed, they're not able to go to the world to come. They, perhaps they got courage. They did things that are deserving of being cut off in the world to come. But they still need to be paid up for the good they've done. And that's going to be in this world. That is the first reason why wicked people may prosper. A second reason. The second reason is that maybe they're prospering to get a lot of money to support someone holy. Maybe their, their child will be holy. Maybe they're going... To at the end of the day, their money will fall into a really holy place. Let's see that inside. The Sometimes. The good fortune of the wicked is like a deposit by him and remains with him until the Almighty will give him a righteous son who will be deserving of it. The wicked person only amasses wealth so that his righteous son can inherit it. As it says in Eoi, he will prepare. The wicked person is going to gather all the money and a righteous man is going to wear it. Similarly, it says in Kohalim, but to the sinner, Hashem gave him an occupation to gather and accumulate to get a lot of money together, to give to him who is good in God's sight. Now this, this wicked person has gathered the money to later give it to somebody who Hashem feels is deserving. What's the classical example for this case? Rashi tells us the classical example here is the story of Haman. Haman amassed tremendous wealth. He found a fortune. Why did he get that wealth? Well, at the end, his money ended up going to Mordechai. So you have Haman who's money hungry. He's gathering money. And that later on is now going to be given over to Mordechai. A third reason. A third reason is that this, the prosperity they, they have, the wealth they have actually the cause of their downfall. For example, an example of this is Korach. Korach was related to Moshe Rabbeinu. He was an extremely wealthy man, but all of his wealth and his prestige actually led to him to rebel against Moshe in the Parsha called after his own name, Parsha's Korach, and the earth ended up swallowing him. So the third reason is at times the wicked person the prosperity has is actually the cause of his misfortune. 
it is possible that the reason why the wicked person is given good is so that it will be the main cause for his death or for his bad fortune. As it is written in the verse, riches kept by their owner for his harm. He kept all the money and that actually caused his own harm. As we've spoken previously when we learned the introduction to this safer, we have the story of Howard Hughes. Hughes? Am I saying it Howard Hughes? I may be mispronounced. Hughes. Hughes. Howard Hughes. Yes. Who was this extremely wealthy man, but the wealth actually was the cause of his own anxiety and sadness. A fourth reason, the Esher. Additionally, it is possible that despite being wicked, the Creator allows him to have good fortune for a while until he repents and will be deserving of it, of it as you know from the story of Menashe. So it could be that Hashem knows, Hashem is giving the person an opportunity to do tshuva. He's wicked now. And Hashem is saying, I'm not going to take everything away. Let me see if you're going to do what's right. And we have a story, we have a, we have a precedent about this, where Menashe was the son of Chizkiyahu. He was a king for 22 years when he sinned. He sinned for 22 years. He did some of the worst sins possible as a leader of the Jewish people. And yet, after 22 years, he, he did teshuva. So yes, it took 22 years of sinning and living a, a prosperous life. But all of that prosperity, later on, it did, he, it did end up doing teshuva. The fifth reason and this is really amazing. It just tells you the power of, of a parent. Some wicked people are given good fortune due to an act of kindness that his father performed. And therefore, it is fitting for God to be kind to his son as a result of it. In other words, uh, we say protexia. His father did something special. And his son is being rewarded even though he's a sinner because of it. And what precedent do we have for this? So again, this is going back to the time of the king, where there was a king named Yehu ben Nimshi. Yehu ben Nimshi, he killed the family of Achor, which was a sinful family. And Hashem was very happy that he did what was right at the time. And Hashem said, four generations of your children are going to occupy the throne of the Jewish people. However, those four generations were not good generations. Nonetheless, Hashem made that promise and he kept the promise. So because of something positive that their great-grandfather had done, they merited this special opportunity. As God said to Yehu, the son of Nimshi, B'nai Rezim, Yisrael, your descendants of the fourth generation will occupy the throne of Yisrael. 
So we're going to quote three verses. The first verse, that children can be rewarded for their parents' deeds, even if they, the children themselves are sinning, is the story of Yehud, the son of Nimshi. The second verse is a verse in Mishli that says, He who walks innocently is righteous. Fortunate are his sons after him. Wow, his children are lucky. They themselves will get rewarded because of their, their father's good deeds. And the third verse that we all know from benching, Nar Hayisi, I was young. I also aged, David Amalek says. And I have not seen a righteous man forsaken and his children and his seed seeking bread. So, so the fact that a righteous person, that a wicked person is prospering, is living the good life, could be that they are truly wicked. But they're being rewarded for their father's or, or their parents' good deeds. So this is actually a little stronger than the other reasons. Previously, we gave reasons. We said, maybe they did something good during their lifetime. And Hashem is trying to pay them up. And now we're saying it could be they're completely wicked and they're getting rewarded because of their parents' deeds. And finally, the sixth reason that the wicked may prosper is actually to test the righteous person or test the medium people and say, hey, are you only going to serve Hashem in the good times? In other words, if you start having questions, you're like, hey, how could the wicked be prospering? Are you now going to forsake Hashem or not? It's a method of testing the people on the, on the, on the fence. So let's see that inside. The Sometimes God makes wicked people prosper for the purpose of testing those tricksters, tricksters who pretend to be righteous so that, so that they can deceive others and those who hide their wickedness out of fear of other people. When these people see this, the wicked, the success of the wicked, they hasten to turn away from the service of the creator and try to appease the wicked people and learn from their ways. So Hashem is testing. Oh, sorry, let's read the next paragraph that, that kind of talks about. The Isparer Hanavar Lelekim. The Yedo Hanem and Bavidofi. As a result, it will become clear as to who is the wholehearted in the service of God. And it will become apparent as to who is loyal in the service of God. When they tolerate those times when others rule over them and embarrass them for it, he will receive reward from the Creator for this. As you know from the story of Eliyahu, who was pursued by Yizeva, and likewise with Yirmiyahu, who was persecuted by the rulers of his generation. So the sixth reason is, well, let's first talk about those two stories. What's the story of Eliyahu with Izevel and Yirmiyahu and the kings of his generation? Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet. He lived a tough life. Are you familiar with this, with this story, a crazy story? The Jewish people were serving idols and Hashem 
let's talk about the story for a second. We just learned about Yehu ben Nimshi. Yehu ben Nimshi wiped out the family of Achav. What's the story of Achav? Achav married Izeva. Izeva was an idol worshiper. She introduced idols into, amongst the Jewish people on, on a mass scale, relatively speaking. And the Jewish people started serving idols. So Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, came and he asked Hashem that there should be no rain. There was a tremendous drought. People were starving. If you're familiar, that's the first story we know of a child who was re- a child who died and came back to life. Elijah the prophet Eliyahu and actually brought back a child to life at that time. But at the end of the drought, it still was the Jewish people still hadn't done teshuva. No one they hadn't accepted that the drought was because of serving idols. So Eliyahu made Eliyahu Navi. He he said, look. All Jewish people come to the mountain, Harakarmo, and we're going to make a test. And this is a famous Haftorah. You're probably familiar with the Haftorah. We're going to make a test. The, the uh, idol worshipers, the, Baal, the leaders of Baal, they're going to get their animals, and they're going to be able to pray as much as they'd like, and we're going to see if a fire comes from heaven. And I'm going to do the same, Leo says. I'm going to take an animal, slaughter it, and see if a fire will come from heaven to eat it up. And the Leo and said, you know, he told the people from Baal, you go first. I, I, have, I, have all time, I have all day. You go first. They're trying. They're crying. They, they even had a trick. They even had someone who was under there who was going to light a, light a fire to make it look like a fire came from heaven. That didn't work well. And nothing happened. And it was Mincha time. And that's an important factor for a moment. And at Mincha time, Eliyahu said, okay, Jewish people watch. He poured water around. He did everything possible to show them that naturally no fire should come. And he dived into Hashem in a fire came. The reason I said it's important that it was Mincha time is because actually that's one of the reasons why Mincha is such a special prayer. We say Eliyahu was answered at Mincha time because it's a, it's a work time. It's a time when naturally we're busy and we, we, if we are able to stop what we're doing for a few moments, it's a very big blessing uh, for success. Now, when this story happened, Izevel was got really mad because Eliyahu had proven her idol worship wrong. Not only proved it wrong, he killed the um, priests of the idol worship. And she was furious. She wanted to kill him. And he had to go into hiding. He went into hiding the story continues. The ravens was an incredible story. The point is he was persecuted. He suffered. But what was his reward? Haha. His reward was eternal life. How does that sound? Sounds quite good. He he went to heaven alive. So yes, he suffered. But that suffering brought him eternal life. Well, that's the story of Yirmiyahu. Yirmiyahu was similar. He was thrown into jail. He had to, he said negative, he said prophecies of, technically you could say doom, very negative prophecies. And the kings, no one wanted to believe what he's saying. He said the temple's going to be destroyed and they put him in prison. They persecuted him. But he ended up being, there's a book, one of the 24 books of the Bible are named after him. 
So one of the reasons why righteous may suffer, why wicked may prosper is actually for us to be able to see even while the right, the wicked prosper and the righteous are suffering, are they still going to serve Hashem? And if they do, if the righteous will still serve Hashem, look at that reward that Eliyahu got. Look at the reward that, that Yirmiyahu got. Okay, so let's review the six reasons that the wicked may prosper. Number one, perhaps he did something good. He's getting paid up in this world. Number two is, maybe the money, he's holding the money for somebody else. He's collecting it like Hama. Number three, maybe what you think is prosperity is really suffering, right? What's the statistics? People who win the lottery, unfortunately, it's not always so good for them in the end. The fourth reason is Hashem is testing. He's saying, hey, please do teshuva. Number five is he, he was lucky. He had great parents and he's getting rewarded for his parents' deeds. And number six is that it's a way that Hashem is testing people to see even if the righteous, even if the wicked are going to prosper, are we still going to serve Hashem even though it doesn't make any sense. So here we have it. Again, these are not the, the answers. There is no the answer why the righteous suffer and why wicked may prosper. Like we learned from our prophets, only Hashem knows why. But here we've been given some conceptual understanding that at least, at least we could try and, and, and grapple with um, to understand why it may happen. And any questions or comments, arguments? Or Basha, please. I had a question um, about why the righteous suffer. Um, I know that uh, I, I, I just learned that um, with the JLI class that, that, uh, that suffering happens to purify us um, after death, but does, that, does purification also, uh, it, it is, is suffering also a purification during life? Very good question. Very good question. And it, it's, it's appropriate. I should have mentioned it earlier, so thank you for asking. We learned that the sun, the rays of the sun, when they're in the sun, they're much hotter. As they come to this world, they weaken. So when you talk about purification regarding punishment, we learn that the punishment in this world is much less than the punishment in the world to come. So someone that goes through a challenging situation in this world is actually going through a purification process that is much easier than if he would need to go through that purification process in the world to come. Does that make sense? Yes. Does it also um, negate what might happen in the world to come? Does it take place of that? Yeah, exactly. Someone that needed to go through a challenging situation in heaven, dealing with it in this world can completely remove the need for that. Yes. Thank you. Yes. 
Any other questions? Okay, so let's talk about what's next. Where is this gonna lead us? How, again, we got here because we, we established that there's a need for human effort. And we asked why the human efforts we said in order that it's a way of testing as well as it's a way of uh, keeping us busy that we don't get involved in negative things. So the next question, and that's what we're gonna talk about next week is, how do I choose my job? How do I choose an occupation? If I need to go ahead and do my part, how do I know what my part is? And it's gonna be fascinating to learn the criteria of understanding what is best for each of us in our search of an occupation.